0: spend a few months in one chapter and I've got about 20 minutes to get you through the first 11 chapters of Romans. (laughs) Um, I'm going to pray straight away. Father we just thank you for your word, we thank you for the power in your word and we just pray that it um, speaks to us and, and speaks to our heart Lord. We just pray for open ears and open hearts and we just pray for new and fresh revelation through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. Uh, and if you've uh, got your phones, open your Bible app. Uh, if you want to take some notes, I'm going to be sharing uh, a number of scriptures today. So, um, yeah, we are going to get into it. Like um, Ben said, we we are going to be um, going through Romans chapter 12, which is an amazing, um, as Ben said, an amazing manifesto of Christian living. It is uh, the basis on uh, which we should be living our lives as Christians. But what's really important about um, Romans, there's a number of things that's really important about Romans, but to fully grasp what's in chapter 12, you really need to understand what has happened through chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 11. And there's some really key... Um, some key scriptures and some key thoughts in Romans that you really need to get an understanding of um, before you can really understand the power of uh, chapter 12. So just to give you a little bit of context um, around Romans, um, Paul wrote to the Roman church, they say in about 56, 58. One of the really interesting things is that there was an emperor called um, Claudius who was uh, in power and in In 49 AD, he actually banished all of the Jews out of Rome. So from 49 AD, there were absolutely no Jews uh, throughout the, the, um, the city of Rome. But they had already started the Christian church there. So what had happened was there were all of these converts, what they would have called Gentiles at the time, who were still there and still functioning in the church. So the Jews left. The church actually really thrived and grew in that period of time when the Jews weren't there until 56, uh, 54 sorry, 54 AD. Claudius dies as a new emperor, Emperor Nero. I'm sure you would have heard of Emperor Nero. He was um, crazy. He was 17 when he came to power. Anyway, this is not about him. Um, he allowed the Jews to come back. So what happens is in 54 AD between 54 and 56, Jews come back and the Gentiles are there and they try and form one church. But what the Jews found is that the Gentiles weren't following the laws of the Jews. They weren't being circumcised, they weren't doing a number of things that was taught to the Jews earlier on. So there became this tension in the church between Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews were saying, well, if you are going to follow God, our god then you have to do this and this and this and the gentiles because they didn't have the law were saying well we have been taught this and there was disunity there was fractions in the church and so that's why paul writes a letter to the romans to the roman church to put straight what is important and what is not important so Unlike other letters that Paul had written, if you pick up Romans somewhere in the middle and read some of the chapters individually, you're not going to get an understanding of the book of Romans. Really, Romans was written as one long letter, broken up into different parts, but Romans was written in one long letter, and it was intended that you would read it from the beginning to the end. Now, we, of course, don't have time to go through it all and read it scripture for scripture, so... What I really want to encourage you all to do is, between now and next week, spend some time and read Romans 1 through 11. And I'll be the first to tell you, from my perspective, Romans can be very difficult to read. It is written in a style that was um, specific to the Roman church and the Romans in that city and the things that were happening at that time. So it is hard. Paul writes... Uh, he asks a lot of questions. Should we then go on sinning? Well, of course not. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, things that he writes in there that are specific. But if you can get through all of that, maybe read maybe the message or doesn't really matter what version, read through it and really take some time to think about the things that Paul is preaching about. And one thing I would really encourage you to, to think on is that when Paul talks about Jews, I would really encourage you to think of Jews as, in our context, the modern church, us. And I would also encourage you to think about when Paul writes about the law, which was obviously in the Old Testament and the Torah, I would really encourage you to think about the law as the Bible and the New Testament and the things that are written in the New Testament. And if you think about it through that context, that maybe in our modern culture, 2,000 years later, if you can imagine 50, 40 years after Jesus died, what had happened to the church, you can imagine how we are right now 2,000 years later. When Paul talks to the Jews, it's important for us to think and reflect on that as us, as the modern day keepers of the law, the Bible, the truth, that we... Would, that we would um, say there's a couple of times in Romans where Paul uses the word therefore and I don't want to um, give you any spoiler alerts but Romans 12 chapter 1 uh, sorry Romans 12 verse 1 word 1 is therefore and the reason that's important is because what Paul is about to say in Romans 12 is because of everything he has said in chapter 1 through 11. And everything that he said in chapter 1 through 11 is supposed to set you up so that you understand therefore this is how you should live as Christians. So I've got a lot of scripture for you today and I've, I've pulled out some key points. In Romans 1, 20 to 23, Paul makes it very clear that humans, as in all of us, before the law, all of us, have been uh, sinful since the beginning of time. And he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Before the law, they knew God but they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. And in exchange for the immortal God, the true God, they exchanged it for these cheap replicas, these cheap imitations of who God was in the form of statues of people and golden calves and you know all sorts of different things. So point one is that humans was sinful before there was law. All of us, from the beginning of time, humans were all sinful. Everyone got that? Feeling inspired yet? (laughs) Okay, the next point that he makes in Romans 2, 17 to 24, is that knowing the law also doesn't make you righteous. And he's talking to the Jews here, obviously, because they... Knew the law, knowing the law doesn't make you righteous. What he says is, now you. If you call yourself a Jew or a Christian, if you rely on the law or the Bible and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light. For those who are in the dark, and I've heard that term here in our church a lot of times recently. I've used that even, that we are a light in our community. A light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples or have fake imitations of God? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. That's a pretty sobering line. I want to give you um, some statistics. Anyone here like statistics? Okay. It's not a good one, but it's a statistic. (laughs) So census data. Okay, we did a census in 2016 and then again in 2021. I only went back to 2016 because I think it it told a pretty um, important picture. 2016, 30.1% or 6.9 million people in Australia said that they had No religious affiliation whatsoever. They were, I guess, what you would traditionally call atheist. No religious affiliation. Now, you can look on the positive side of that and say that 70%, nearly 70% did. But that's 6.9 people out of about 23 million people that said they had no religious affiliation. In 2021, only five years later, that percentage rose to 38.9%. It's an increase up to 8.9 million people. That is two million people in the space of only five years that have said, actually, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Two million people. Does anybody know the population of South Australia, roughly? About one and a half million So that that is the equivalent of the entire population plus more saying, actually, we don't believe in God anymore. That's just the people who did but now don't. Of the 16 million who did say that they had faith, 8.3 million identified as Christian, which is great. Christianity is the predominant faith in Australia, nearly 50%. But in 2021 it dropped to 7 million people. So not only have people lost faith in general, but as far as Christianity goes in general, we are responsible for 50% of those people who now say that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. We went from from 8.3 million people in Australia calling themselves a Christian to only 7 million people in the space of five years. If you think about population growth, it's probably a much larger number. If you think about what the Old Testament talks about and New Testament talks about with generations, imagine the impact of that in another 5 to 10, 15, 20 years from now. Will Will we have Christianity? I'm not sure. I hope so. But here's a thought. That last line that Paul says, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Now, it made me think that as representatives of the faith, all of us, as representatives of Christ, we, as a church, and I mean the broader church, we have to ask ourselves the question, why so many people are losing faith? Why are so many people walking away from the church? Why? Why? And just a thought I had, this is my personal view. You can speak to me about it after if you disagree. But maybe, maybe it's because as a church, we're so quick to tell people what they shouldn't be doing. This is not a political statement. When the gay marriage bill came out, we were so quick as a church to say that is wrong. We should not allow gay marriage in Australia. But what if, what if, it's a bit hard because we haven't been through chapter 12 yet. But what if we did what is written in chapter 12 and actually loved our community and not focus on what they shouldn't be doing? We just focus on our response to them. God's name is blaspheme amongst the Gentiles because of you. I feel horrified sometimes of the conversations I've heard Christians having with other people around what Christianity is, what we should and shouldn't be doing. And in fact, what Paul is saying is this exact same thing. You have the law, but yet you break it all the time. And so... Any time you measure yourself by the law, you will always fall short. And that brings us to the next point, is that no one, no one is made righteous by the law. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. No one will be declared righteous by works of the law, no matter how many commands we keep, no matter how righteous we feel we are, no one, no one will be declared righteous by works of the law. This is a hard concept to get our head around. I have to admit, I really pondered on this scripture for quite a while when preparing for this message. Because the concept is that the law wasn't given so that we could have a list of things that we needed to do to get to heaven. But that's very much how we interpret interpret it. Really, the law exists to show us that we all fall short. That none of us can actually keep all of the laws. There's 613 Old Testament laws. Do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Julie really doesn't do I can say I have never boiled a goat in its mother's milk. Does that give me free passage to heaven? No, it doesn't. You know, um, anyway. <laughs> the, the camera's only on me, so no one else is going to see this. Please raise your hand if you have never, and I mean never, for those of you who drive at least, for those of you who have never gone 61 in a 60 zone. Raise your hand. (laughs) Sinners, every one of you. (laughs) For those who drive. There is no one. No one. Whether you did it on purpose or not, it is irrelevant. By letter of the law, we are all sinners. Those who have driven. (laughs) I'm sure there are others that other people break. But the law exists to show you, show us, that we actually need God's grace. And we need God's forgiveness. And we need God in our life. Not to control us. Not to control us. And as a church, we have used laws to control people, to fit them into our comfort zone so that we don't have to deal with people's messy lives. It's so much easier if you just don't drink or don't gamble or don't, you know, don't do a, a plethora of things. It's easy to don't, just don't do that. And maybe if you do do it, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. But honestly... Isn't that what church has become? We all sin, all of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. Now, we don't walk through the door and put on a name tag that has all of our sins written on it. I'd never come to church. (laughs) Not because I don't feel worthy of God's love, because I don't want to be judged by everyone about the sins that are, you know, hanging around my neck. No one is made righteous by the law. The law exists to show that actually all of us fall short of the glory of God. The next point is that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus alone. And the very next verse, Romans three twenty-one to 24, says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And I just want to make a point here. When he says, now apart, but now apart from the law... What he's emphasising is that now that you are apart from the law, now that the law has no power over you, now that you are apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Our Old Testament was very clear about this point happening. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now that is so important for us to understand because in the context of the Jewish church, they firmly believed through all of the Old Testament and then obviously into you know, this, this new church that righteousness came through works. And those works were not that you couldn't follow the law but that when you broke the law you had to make atonements, you had to cover your sins, you had to offer sacrifices so that then you could be made righteous. But Paul is saying that that now, through the death of Jesus, that this righteousness is given, very important, it is given to you, not earned, but it is given to you through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, As I said, in the Old Testament you had to go and get, you had to get sacrifice, you had to make sacrifices at the temple to be made right with God. That word, Righteous I won't say it. It's the anyway, it's the Greek word. We don't need to know that. The the word righteousness is a legal term that means that you have been made right. You are okay. You're you are innocent. That has been put behind you. So in the old days, you had to make a sacrifice. You had to go and buy something, sacrifice it, offer it to God. That would wipe away your sins. You'd go away. You'd sin again. You'd come back to temple. It's this constant cycle of having to make atonement for your sins. But that is no longer the case through Jesus and through the the sacrifice that Jesus made because all of us are justified. All of us are made right. All of us are now freely in relationship with God. By his grace... Through the redemption of Jesus. I know I'm labouring on this, but this is so important. We don't have right relationship with God because we're good people. We don't. That's that's a simple reality. We are not I am not a good person. The Bible says none of us are good. We are not in right relationship with God because of how we act. The things we do, the things we don't do. We are made right with God purely through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. His redemption for our sins gives us free relationship with God. And the next point is that this righteousness was given to us while we were still sinners. And in 5, 8, Romans five eight it says... But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think sometimes in church we have this mentality that we come in, we get saved, we go to work at making our life perfect. And we—it said before, we all fall short. But then we go through this process of staying away from God because we don't feel like we're living up to his standard. But actually, it's not God's standard. It's the church's standard. It's the cultural standards that we have set in the the places that we live and worship together. It's not a standard set by God. You're a sinner. Full stop. I, you as in the greater you. And even though we were all sinners, God still did what he did for us not because we got to a point where everyone was perfect and so you know he could hit the button he did it because we are sinners and we will continue to be sinners and the next point is that this righteousness is a gift from God in Romans 6:23, it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Amen. The gift of God is eternal life for those who believe in Jesus. And you know, Paul is very deliberate in his wording when he says the wages of sin is death. Because earlier on in Romans 4, 4 and 5, it says, Now to the one who works wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So powerful. This is not my words, this is in the Bible. And what this is telling you, telling us, all of us, is that when we work for our salvation... Right. This is what happened before Jesus. When you work for your salvation, you will fail. And so God is obliged, there is an obligation to pay us what we are due, which is death. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) It's so important to understand this. Before Jesus, when you work for your salvation... Anytime you work, God is obliged to pay you your wages. Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. And it says that the wages of sin is death. So you can only assume that when you work for salvation and you fail, you will get death because God is obliged to give that. But because of that obligation... Because of that love like we've been talking about this morning, because we all fall short, because God wants relationship with you, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. But, however, to the one who does not work, this is a direct translation out of the Bible, to the one who... Who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. Their faith, their faith, not their work, but their faith is credited to them, is given to them as righteousness. If you just read that, you could rightly assume that when you believe in Jesus Christ... You can stop working for your salvation. You are saved. And trust me, we're going to get to the work bit because how you act as a Christian is chapter 12 onwards. We're going to go through that. That's really important. But for you to really fully grasp how important and how wonderful and beautiful all of the things are in chapter 12, you have to know, you have to know, that works are pointless we don't need to work what god is asking us to do doesn't come through the obligation to do works for our salvation because you already have it and it says the one who does not work but trust god who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited to them credited to them as righteousness amazing amen And so knowing all of that, the next thing is that Paul covers is that we are free to live by the Spirit. In Romans 8, 1 to 6. 1 to 2, I think, actually, 1 to 3. Anyway, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit Who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, before Jesus came, we could not escape the law of sin and death. No matter what we did, no matter how hard you worked, you could not escape the law of sin and death. But through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that is within us, we are free to live in the Spirit, to be guided by God, Because there is no condemnation. You know, I think about that, the statistics about, um, you know, the the church shrinking, the global church shrinking. It's not just an Australian issue, it's a worldwide issue. Probably in other countries, the percentages are higher, I don't know. But the bottom line is, the, the church, the Christian church is shrinking. And I have to say from my own perspective, that the church is so good at condemning different parts of our our community we live on condemnation part of our identity is that we we stand up for um you know for for different things now i will say some of those are excellent you know social justice issues some of those some of those core issues around social justice we do condemn certain things because it's important we shouldn't you know we shouldn't abuse minorities and you know all of those different things there are some things that we should stand up for but the there are others where we completely separate and segregate and highlight different communities and tell them that actually they are not worthy of God's love. Actually, that's not true. I'll retract that statement. I think what we say to them is that you are worthy of God's love, just not how you are right now. Just not now. So change that. Come over here and when you're ready, we'll be here for you. We're, all churches would say the same thing. We are an open door. Come, worship with us. Just don't bring that stuff into our church. Leave it at the door. And if you have got it, just don't tell anyone about it. Oh, it I know it's hard. It is. is hard. But it's, it's embarrassing, to be honest. To be in a secular world... To hear people talking about how they've been treated in churches is embarrassing. And I stand here, I will confess to you that I find it very hard actually to tell people that don't come to church that I'm a Christian. I play golf, I work, you know, you talk with people, they say what do you do, what do you do on the weekend? I came to church, I worship God because he loves me for who I am. But I don't say that. And I don't say it because I don't want the condemnation that comes along with that same judgment that people in church are condemning the world because I am not like that. I don't care what you do with your life. I care about you as a person. And I know generally we all feel that same way. Individually, we all have that. But somehow when we come together as a corporate church, it morphs into this, works program, get right with God, pray more, you know, fast, read more, come to church, worship, you know, all of those things. And I, I'm very aware of the fact that even in saying this, I'm being a little bit condemning. I am doing the same thing that I'm saying we shouldn't. And that's why in Romans it says, we all fall short of the glory of God, all have sinned. And all fall short, but we are all freely justified through Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us. And so, just to recap on all of these things, if you want to know the next step of how to live by the Spirit, you'll have to tune in next week. <laughs> and, and the week after, and the next couple of months after. <laughs> There are some, I will say this about Romans, if you could only read one book in the entire Bible, you should read Romans, because of course the Gospels are the account of Jesus and all the things that he did, and you know, I'm not saying the Gospels aren't important because they definitely are, but the reason Romans is so important is because it's the theology of being a Christian. It's It's not just the account of Jesus' life and what he did for us, that is incredibly important But in Romans, Paul tells us why he did what he did and how that affects us and how we should live our lives and how we are now free from condemnation. Romans is the theological book of the Bible. If you could only read one book ever, I would encourage you to read that one. And yes, it can be a bit dry and a bit difficult at times, but push through and read it. Read a different different, um, translation. Find something that works. Watch videos. Romans is the linchpin. It's the foundation of all of our Christian lives. And so I would encourage you over the next week and over the next few months, be in it. Just read it. You won't be disappointed. And when we get to 12, which is next week, so you've got some reading to do this week, it will make a lot more sense, okay? So just to recap... Humans have been sinful since the beginning of time, all of us. Knowing the law doesn't make you righteous. And no one is made righteous by the law, in fact. Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus alone. It's the only way to become righteous is through faith in Jesus. And this righteousness was given to us while we were still sinners, And it is offered to you right now while you are still sinners. And the righteousness is a gift from God. And we are free to live by the Spirit. And that second to last point, that this righteousness is a gift from God, is important. Because when we think about Romans 12, when you get a gift, the gratitude you show to that person is, you know, generally based on the the expanse of the gift. You know, if someone gives you a coffee, thank you, I love free coffee, that's amazing. If someone gave me a house, you know, yeah, I, I, it would be, I, I couldn't find words. And not only that, my behaviour towards them would change. You know what I mean? I would want them at my house all the time. I would want to bless them and honour them and I would want to be in relationship with them, you know, I would want to be close to them. So Romans 12 is exactly that. You know, we have been given this amazing gift. Amazing gift. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in your word. Now I just pray, Lord, that today that it just sinks into our spirit, that we just take hold of the truth that you have given us and we just live our lives accordingly, that through faith in you there is no condemnation for any of us now in our relationship with you. We are, we are free to be in relationship with you through what you did on that cross. And we just thank you, Lord. We are grateful. And I just pray for all of us that we learn over time to just show that graciousness, that gratitude towards you more and more in the way that we live our life. Not in the way we tell others how to live. And I just pray here today, Lord, that you bless our fellowship and bless our relationships in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.